Hello and welcome to the Art of Communication podcast with me, Robin Kermode. For more information on my online public speaking masterclass, visit robinkermode.com. On the Art of Communication podcast today, I'm delighted to be joined by Gitika Ganjudar. She's one of India's most distinguished orators. She's an actor, TV anchor, moderator, live events MC, voiceover artist, and now a virtual MC too. She's shared platforms with prime ministers and heads of state. She's hosted literally thousands of live events across the globe. She is India's most awarded live host. She was voted best TV host for her award-winning TV cookery show, Live Artist of the Decade, Best Live Host India, Best Female Anchor India, and has been named by India Today as one of the top 100 nation builders in India. We first met when I was in Mumbai earlier this year, and I'm delighted that she's agreed to join me on the podcast today. I was asked on the radio the other day whether I thought that communication had changed as a result of the pandemic. And I wondered whether you feel that the communication style has changed in any way since the start of the lockdowns in March this year? I'd say that, yes, the change has begun. Because when you hit rock bottom, then you always go towards a better place. And I think we as a human civilization, we've hit rock bottom with this. So I think, yes, communication from here on will change. Intra-human communication will change. Professional communication will change. And I think all of it will go towards being more empathetic, more grounded in reality, more purpose-serving, more connected to emotions. So we are going to definitely see a realignment of the content of communication, a realignment of the modes of communication, the realignment of even the human technology of communication. This is a change that has begun. You will not feel it very vibrantly right now, but we will be able to recognize it more clearly, probably in 2022. But the change has begun. I can feel it in my gut that this change is for the better. We'll have better communication between people across the world. I totally agree. I think there's definitely an authenticity level that will become acceptable. And I think that the way that business people used to present, for example, I think will change. Nobody wants slick anymore. I work a lot with politicians, as you know, as you do. And everybody now wants their politicians to be real people. They want real policies delivered in a real humane way not in a slick, polished way. So I think there's a balance now to be had between being professional and clear and being human. Could you talk a little bit about that when you're running live events? Obviously, we're not running live events at the moment, many of them. So you're doing a lot of stuff online. How do you have a human connection online now? How can I have a human connection when I'm sitting across a screen? But still, we try because that's what is expected of us. And that, that's what eventually the bedrock of all communication is. You're communicating with another human being. For me, you put a screen in front of me or you put a Godzilla in front of me and you tell me this is the person you have to communicate with. I'll do it. I'll do it and I'll enjoy doing it. So for me, it's not really that I'm talking to a screen and, you know, the audience is there, their cameras are shut. I don't know how many of them are in the toilet, how many of them are in the kitchen, how many of them are snoozing. Are they even listening to me? But I'm giving it my 150% because I don't know what's going on behind that black screen. And I have to give it not 100%, but 150% amplification to hold their attention 
maybe this one's attention this minute, that one's attention the other minute. I'm getting to somebody else who's just come back from the kitchen is walking past the computer. Oh, oh, what's she saying? She's sounding good. She's talking sense. Oh, she's sounding happy. So it's a huge effort. Being a virtual MC doesn't really require the same skill set that was required by us when we were live hosts. It requires a bit of a different skill set. And I think the most important skill set is that you really, really need to know how to amplify into a screen so that you get the person on the other side to, to sit there and listen to you, despite the fact that he doesn't really have to. So I'm enjoying virtual MCing. I think it's a learning curve that all of us across the world are right now traveling. And uh, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll discover all those means and methods and tricks and tips uh, of virtual emceeing will come onto Google very soon. But Abhi, I think we're all in the learning curve. And it's so exciting. It's something new. Aren't you excited? It is exciting. And interestingly, I've come to love it, actually. When it first started, I didn't like it very much. And I think we can have a human connection. We're talking today. I'm here in London and you're in Mumbai. And yet I get the feeling that we're having a proper conversation. It's not quite the same as sitting having a coffee, but it's not far off. It really isn't far off. But that's because both of us are doing the things that we need to do to communicate, which is, first of all, we want to communicate. So we actually have the desire to connect. That's the first thing. And secondly, we're probably, as you say, giving it 150%. When I'm actually hosting and I'm doing an event and I'm a virtual MC, most of the time I can't see my audience. Yes. Because there are thousands and thousands of them on the other side. Of course. So that would be a different scenario vis-a-vis you and me talking right now. So when you and me are talking right now and we're communicating, of course, there's a 100% human connection. Mm. You know, I'm talking to you, talking to me. I can see your eyes. I can see the way your lips are moving. I can read your body language. It's almost the same. Almost the same as we were talking to each other in the coffee shop at Taj a few months back. Mm -hmm. But when I'm a host, then I can't see my audience unless, you know, I'm upgrading them to be a panelist or I'm asking them a question and their cameras put on. So essentially, I don't know who my audience is. That would be the same for any radio presenter. So radio presenters for years have never seen their audience. I'm always intrigued by breakfast radio hosts who have this lovely bubble of energy They have no idea who's listening. They're told the listening figures are half a million or 10 million or whatever it might be. They're told people are there. But when they're just in the studio, they're having to create the sense of energy on their own so that when you're at home making your morning cereal or cup of coffee, you kind of want them to be around. So when you can't see your audience, it does require more energy than normal. Yeah, but you know, with radio presenters, they can't see their audience, but their audience can't see them either. So The energy that they're putting in is basically voice energy, sound energy, and a bit of body language, of course, comes automatically when you are giving words to your thoughts. But with us in virtual emceeing, they can see me. Yes, the whole time. (laughs) They can see everything I'm doing, what I'm wearing, how do I look, what's my body language. You know, within that entire framework, I've had to amp up my energy levels, which anyway were very high when I used to do live stage two. So I've had to amp that up so much more. I've had to better my content so much more because now I'm not just talking to a room full of 800 people. What I've said could be seen by someone two years later sitting in Timbuktu or sitting in Poland or sitting in in North Pole. Of course. So I have to be so good at what I'm saying. The content has to be so perfect. Yes. That I think it's a lot more challenging in many ways and then it's not very challenging in some other ways. I've read a great review of yours and it says every time... Gitika talks, a little magic happens. 
Ah. How, do, how do you create <laughs> that sense of magic? I love that quote, but how, how do you create a sense of magic? You know, Robin, there's just one thumb rule that I have. And it's a thumb rule that I have because it's worked for me because I think it comes from within my soul. If I'm talking to you right now, there is no element of, I'm not faking this. I'm truly talking to you. If I'm smiling, I'm smiling. If I'm laughing, I'm really laughing. I'm into this. It's all coming from my heart. So when you hear any words from me or you see an expression on my face or if there's a gesture that comes out of my body, it's all filtered through my heart. And when you speak from your heart, magic will happen. I love talking. I love talking to people. I love talking on stage. I may approach it very, very properly in a very systematic manner, in a very orderly manner. I may prepare all of that. But when I start delivering and when the moment of performance begins, then my heart is dancing. And that's why probably my audience or my listener or the person I'm talking to enjoys my company, whether it's a one-to-one interaction or whether I'm talking to a passive audience. You know, as human beings, we can sense it. We get the vibe. Yes. And when you sense that vibe, that's when the magic happens. So I thank whoever said that about me. I think it's such a sparkling comment to <laughs> to get. I should frame this one. It's the kind of review we all want to get, isn't it? Do you think you can teach this quality, this sense of being in your heart, the sense of making your voice sound like you mean what you say because it's authentic and it's emotionally connected? Do you think you can teach that? Can you teach magic? You can teach the skill of doing magic. Mm -hmm. But magic is something that I feel comes from the person within. Somewhere I feel, there's a quote there I'm forgetting. There's this very famous quote where someone describes what um, good public oration is all about. And he goes on to say that, leave everything aside, but good public oration is about being a good person. Mm -hmm. If you are a good person and you have good karma, you have uh, you you mean well, and there is a lot of innocence in you, and you're very passionate about something. All of these things come together to create that magic. And as I always say, authenticity to the moment, authenticity, what you're saying, just being true, true to the moment. Mm. If I wasn't in the mood, I wouldn't even do an interview if I wasn't feeling up to it because it's that important to me. Because me without that stardust, ding, that thing. That ding is very important to me. So that, I think that that's, that's a big part of what I bring to the table, yeah. And when you talk about the stardust and being a star, which of course you are, and you're very well known in India and globally, did you set out to become famous? Honestly, I haven't even asked myself if I'm famous or not. The only thing I've ever asked myself is, am I doing a good job? Mm-hmm. And I have so much more learning to do. And that's really my trip in life. What is being famous, Robin? That a few million people across the globe know who you are? Fame, celebrity, star, it's all going to be meaningless in a few years. For me, it's always been that I'd rather let my work be the celebrity. Mm. I mean, even if 10 people in the country stand up and say that Geetika's work is excellent and the other 90 say that, oh, she's not a star, Mm. I'm okay with it. Because stars shine and then they don't shine. But good work never fades away. Exactly. There must be many young women all over India watching you on television and watching you on live events, thinking, I'd love to do what Gitika does. I'd, I'd love to go into that profession of 
hosting and communicating. That's the one thing they shouldn't say. You should just do what you want to do. Why would anyone want to be anyone else? Why? Look at how beautiful nature is. I mean, we have, what, 7 billion people on Earth, approximately. Everyone's unique. I've read somewhere that probably you have a twin somewhere on Earth. So, okay, let's say 3 billion unique people. Why would you want to be somebody else? It wasn't designed to be that way. And you have your own destiny. And I don't know. Yeah, you could probably say, hey, I want to be as hardworking as somebody or as professional as somebody, or I want to have the opportunity to host these kind of events like somebody. But I never encourage someone when they come up and say, we want to be like you. Why? You could be so much better. But they might want to be in the same profession as you. Of course. You might inspire them in that way. When you were younger, did you have somebody that you respected and you thought, oh, that was a trigger to get into this industry? No, Robin, I became an anchor by accident. I've called myself an accidental anchor. I was training to be a filmmaker. I was a camera person on my final film. I didn't even know what an anchor was. I didn't even know what a live host was. And there I was walking around in my college. We had some fabulous studios. BBC used to come and shoot there a lot. A producer saw me and offered me my first television show. It was tacky as hell, the first show. But somehow uh, I just discovered that I could do my lines really fast and deliver them with a lot of expression. I love Hindi films. And I wanted to be an actor when I was growing up, but I chose not to be one. So I think that, you know, that the entire emoting bit came from there. I enjoyed my first job. Someone gave my number to someone. God knows why, how. Someday I should figure out who was this one person who gave my number. Maybe thank them. Exactly. And this agency actually called. <laughs> yeah, I'm not thanking you, tell him why did you do this? So uh, they called me. I gave an audition with some of the best anchors of the land at that point in time. And I was shocked when they selected me because I'm like, they've lost it. I have been picked for like one of the major projects of the year. I went in, I did it, as I told you at Auto Expo. And here I am. I did never want it to be an anchor. So I have no one that I really emulated. Though Amitabh Bachchan is not an anchor in the strict sense of the word, but he is somebody that I greatly look up to for his work ethic, for the way he works hard even today. He is a gigantic superstar, a gigantic achiever. He works so hard even today. He constantly evolves. He's with the times. His craft is impeccable each time. He's working so hard. So if you really ask me if there's someone out there that, you know, I emulate, uh, I don't want to be Amitabh Bachchan, but I hope that in my career, I've been able to apply the same principles and the same process of working that he does. So yeah, if, if you want me to give you a name, it would be Amitabh Bachchan. The person I wanted to be when I was young, or didn't necessarily want to be, but I wanted to be like, was the actor Richard Burton. Ah, nice. And he had this most incredible voice. Yes. And I thought, maybe one day when I'm an actor, I could have a voice like that. And <laughs> I don't have a voice like that. I have a voice like I have, as you said. And in a way, we should all be who we are and celebrate who we are. Yes. Talking about voice, I mean, you have a fantastic voice and you say you like speaking. Hey, thank you. You do too. Ah, thank you. <laughs> Do you think you sound like your parents or your mother? I've never thought of that. No, I don't think so. No, no, no. I think I just, I don't sound like them, no. No, I've never thought of it, actually. Not like my father. I sing like him and I scream like my mom. Like my mom used to scream at me. I think then I sound like her. <laughs> oh, no, but no. Well, the thing is, we all think we've moved on and most of us find that little bits of our parents come through. Of course. 
I definitely sound like my father. You do? I think so. Do you look like your father? I look like a mixture of my mother and my father. Ah. I would say a mixture of the two. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> my voice, by the way, has changed. You know, that's a strange thing. When I was in college, I was doing my mass communication in filmmaking and I used to do radio there for All India Radio. And I had a different voice then. And I remember the man who used to head the channel for the country used to tell me, you have an awful voice, awful voice. You have such a horrible voice. And he said that to me all the time. And I was like, oh my God, I'm such a bad voice. And then <laughs> I don't know. It's I, I, The first day I stepped on stage and they put that headset onto me and I, I spoke my first lines. I think I liked what I heard. So I don't know. My voice just changed and it's still changing, Robin. My voice is changing with every few years. I don't know if it's getting better or worse, but there's some science there to it. I think which age your voice does change a bit. The other thing that changes with age is pace. I think sometimes we can speak more slowly, not because we're getting older, we can't think. There's a calmness, there's a wider bird's eye view, there's a slightly sort of Zen elder statesman view of the world. Yes. And you're not very eager to prove a point. Mm. It's okay to lose some. Yes. <laughs> You're okay with losing some. We're not desperate to prove a point or to prove ourselves. I think that's yes. the other thing. <laughs> Every now and then we get the slight cold or we get a tickle in our throat. Do you have any tips that you do to look after your voice? There is this uh, Ayurvedic mixture powder that's available here in India, at least. I think it's probably available across the globe. I get it from Amazon. Uh, it's called Samahan. So if I get a bit of a bad throat, I take that, I do my strepsils and all of that. Yeah, salt water gargles, they work like magic every single time. Cider vinegar and water is the one I use. Ah, okay. You know, Robin, it's crazy. It's insane, okay, what I'm going to tell you now. But I could be having the worst throat day. But once I step onto that stage, it's like the pixie dust just falls. It just falls on my head and I'm sounding, I'm sounding okay. Also, because when I'm on stage, I'm I'm extracting pounds and pounds and pounds of flesh from my own being and giving it out there to my audience that this has to be done perfectly. So I think all of us in our human systems, we have the capacity to extract even when we're not well. Of course, after the show, you drop down and fall half dead, but <laughs> I've never really had a bad throat day on stage. No. It's interesting in the theatre, there's an expression when you're ill or if you, even if you've broken your leg, we use the phrase Dr. Theatre and Dr. Theatre just cures anything. So as soon as you stand on stage, <laughs> you forget your leg's broken. I remember doing Shakespeare's Winter's Tale in London and just before I went on stage, about an hour before I was at home and I thought, well, I have an avocado and I cut the avocado, but the avocado knife slipped and it cut my thumb oh. and blood was pouring out. I had to put a tourniquet on the bicep muscle and I did the whole show literally with no blood going into my hands. Oh, did your family let you do that? My family didn't know, but it's what you do, <laughs> isn't it? Because it's doctor theatre, that's it. You get on with yeah. it. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? But you also forget it. During the show, you actually forget it because you're so focused on trying to connect your emotion with the audience. Being in the zone. You're in the zone. And maybe none of us actually need paracetamol and ibuprofen. Maybe, in fact, all we need to do is to concentrate on connecting with other human beings and all our pain disappears. There is this theory about how in the old times, in the ancient times in India, sages would meditate for years and years and years standing on one leg and they would just forget the pain that the posture was giving their body. So it is humanly possible. Yes. As a performer, when you really, you know, you want to go out there and just, just kill it and just create magic, I think it, you just forget. And that's actually called being in the flow, being in the zone. 
So here you are at Gitigger. You're on a live platform or even a virtual platform, but you have a huge audience and you've got lots and lots of information to remember. Now, sometimes, of course, you can have notes, but talk me through how you learn your lines or decide what you're going to say. What's your preferred way of standing up in front of an audience? The first ever show that I did was for an automobile giant. And this was a 25-minute technical presentation that we had to give in an auto expo, I think six or seven times a day. And I was straight out of college. And for some reason, I, I don't remember why, I think I thought that was the only way it should be done. No one told me that I could have taken cue cards up and read the presentation out. So here I was, this new person in a new industry, and I was very young and very naive, and I was very scared, and I wanted to do a great job. I just assumed that I'd have to learn it. Slowly and slowly and slowly, I began to realize, Robin, that people liked what they saw. Oh, wow, how is that happening? Why isn't she looking at a piece of paper? So it's just something that I, I can do it. Yeah. For everybody listening, this is a skill that people are saying, but I could never do that. As an actor, of course, I could learn four hours of Shakespeare like any actor could, because that's what we do. Of course you could. But that's fine. If you're going to do a play like that, you might run the play for a year, but you're not doing it all the time. You're doing new shows every single day or certainly every week. How long does it take you to learn 25 pages? Now, Robin, it takes me very little time. So mostly what I do is if I'm flying out the next morning, I internalize the script a night before. I just roughly internalize it because I have this rule that if you learn something at night, then when you wake up next morning, mm -hmm. it's easier to refine uh, the learning and it, it sits better in your head. I totally agree. Yeah. And then when I'm sitting on that flight for two hours, the rest of it gets into my head. And I normally do conferences and events that have copious, massive scripts. Because I write those scripts myself. And when I'm writing those scripts, I forget that I'm the poor one who'll be, <laughs> who has to sit and learn them. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with teleprompters because mm. that way, you know, you're looking ahead, you're exchanging expressions with the audience. The card, the cue card or the paper is not between you and the audience. But I'm not really, really very huge fan of cue cards or, or notes there. It's practice makes perfect. So if you do it and do it and try and try and try, maybe the first time a few lines, maybe the second time a whole page, maybe the third time two pages, three pages. It's not impossible. And anything that is not impossible and is so important a part of your craft mm -hmm. and can raise the bar by several hundred notches, mm -hmm. why wouldn't someone want to do that? Of course. How do I do it? I, I work very hard on it, Robin. It's, mm -hmm. it's, there are days when I'm really tired and there are days when I have back-to-back -back events and my mind is tired because, you know, your brain gets fatigued mm -hmm. because you're constantly pushing information in and then having to deliver that information on stage with the pressure that you can't make a mistake. You can't go wrong with a name. You can't go wrong with a statistic. You can't go wrong with a designation. You, for that matter, can't go wrong because I don't want to let down the writer. That is me who wrote those beautiful lines. So I want <laughs> to course, say them exactly. It's a, lot of, it's a lot of fatigue that you have to deal with. And I think somewhere it did tire my body down quite a bit mm. all these years and years and years of having to internalize. But this is what I have set for myself. And this is what I will deliver till my last day on stage. The day I feel I have to hold a paper and do it, I'll say goodbye. I'm an actor. As an anchor, I'm an actor. And of course, the way that actors learn lines is they learn why they say the lines. You know, people say to actors all the time, you know, how do you learn your lines? Yeah. And the answer is, if they're just lines, they're hard to learn. But if you learn why you say that, in other words, if a character yeah. says something to you and you say, 
Well, of course, this is the only response I could say. Then it's not a line anymore. It's a thought. And once it's a thought, it's an emotion. And when it's an emotion, you can remember it. That's the way I look at it. Also, I think I, I get where you're going with this because as anchors, we're rattling off a monologue, really. Yes. It's designed to be a dialogue, sound like you're talking with the audience, which essentially it is a monologue, right? Yes. So it is definitely more difficult to remember lines where it's a one-way thing. Yes. It's definitely more difficult, but then that's it's just a part of my job. And as long as you find the internal logic, then you're fine. Yeah, there, I think there's, there's 100% logic to it. It's not only set in my mind, it's also then set on my tongue. If you say a word 10 times, the 11th time, you close your eyes, don't even think about it, you will say the word exactly the way you've practiced it. Absolutely true. It's the motor memory of the tongue. Yes. Now, I'd also like to talk about your cookery show. What are the challenges of doing cookery on live television? (laughs) I'm not doing one again unless they have an air conditioner that doesn't make noise while we are filming. Oh my God, it's hell. And you know, in my career, I think I've done three cookery shows. And every single time I've gone back and said, I'm not doing another one because, you know, you could be in the best studio, but the AC is making noise, switch it off. And the gas is on in front of you and I'm hot. Okay. And I have makeup on me. I'm wearing these clothes. As a show, it was good fun because I shot it with the the director who shot me when I did my first ever show. So it was coming full circle with her, Tanuja Shankar. She's now a cultural diplomat. Uh, I learned a lot of new things about uh, the Indian way of cooking and about uh, good health, Ayurveda, all of that. And I came back and after those two months of shooting the show, I actually implemented a lot of my learning in my own kitchen. And that did change the way we ate at home. So that way it was some sort of blessing that the universe sent to us. Yeah, but you know, cookery shows, the next one, if I ever do one, should be in a forest in England, uh, below a sunny sky with blue clouds, with lots of butter cheese and, you know, just great weather, just a linen trouser, (laughs) fresh air. No AC is being switched off. Uh, Gitika, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for thinking of having me on your show. And the next time you're in India, we shall treat you to more delicacies full of Indian spices. (laughs) Get you a nice tummy upset. I've never had one in Mumbai, never. (laughs) And when I come to London, when I do, I've never been to London, by the way. What is the one thing you'd like to show me? Well, of course, London, like most cities at the moment, is not like it normally is. But but when London is open, it has some of the best theatre in the world. Yes. Good idea. When you come to London, I will take you to see whatever is the current best show in London. Yay! Thank you. (laughs) I look forward to that. Gitiga, thank you so much for joining us today. (laughs) Nice talking to you, Robin. I'm sure that people listening will be inspired by your love of connection, because ultimately that's what you do every day is you connect with other people. And what better job in the world than to wake up in the morning saying, I'm just going to connect human beings. Yes. Yes, yes. It's the zing thing. The zing thing. The ting, ting. <laughs> For more information on my online public speaking masterclass, visit robinkermo.com.